In this episode of the Project Mindfulness Podcast, you will hear about the life of a former yogi who was training in a monastic environment for 12 years. Honest and open to all religions, all traditions, all ages, and all levels of experience. Radically accessible, pragmatic, and eye-opening. Simply for everyone. Welcome to the Project Mindfulness Podcast. We'll take you on a journey across the globe and talk with other meditators about their practice, the lessons they have learned, and what they want the world to know. Good day and welcome. This is episode 14 and I'm Christian Neteson. Thank you for joining us. Today I talk with Rajan Shankara about his time as a yogi in a Hindu monastery. On the island of Kauai, he trained for 12 years on meditation and the purification process of a yogi. We talk about his experience in the monastery, his journey towards it, and how it changed his life. He's now a personal trainer for both fitness and meditation. I'm sure his journey and his insights will motivate and inspire you in your practice. Welcome, Rajan, to the Project Mindfulness podcast. Thank Great to have you here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Awesome. So, um, Rajan, tell us a bit about yourself. Who are you and what do you do in life? Okay, well... I'm basically four months out of a 12-year monastic career. Um, I am 32. I'm a personal trainer when I'm not teaching meditation. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was younger, I kind of decided to shift my life and instead of living a normal life um, out in the world I decided at the age of 19 to dedicate my entire uh, waking hours to the study of uh, meditation right that's a big decision did I I really wonder now what what drove you to that decision is there a particular moment in your life where you you felt like I really want to dedicate all my time to meditation right yeah so I, I kind of had a rough upbringing um, I dabbled uh, with selling drugs when I was younger and just kind of coming from a broken home a bit with split parents and Mm. Uh, you know, going back and forth between them every other week. And so I was pretty uh, misguided. And I thought, you know, being an adult was causing as much trouble as possible and making as much money as possible in the process. So I was right. very immature and kind of a no good thug. And I did that all throughout high school and just barely got by. And after having um, several um, fairly dangerous and fatal, uh, near fatal experiences in that field, I guess, uh, I decided to change my life around. And I was basically wow. given a second chance um, one night and I either could have gone to uh, jail for a long time or change my ways and so I immediately uh, changed my ways overnight and I started an asphalt company 
at the age of 18. And I made a lot of money and I had no problem with relationships or anything. And it wasn't making me happy. Mm. I, I wasn't satisfied at all with um, my reality, ex- external life. And my roommate and I started to study mystical texts. Um, we both read Autobiography of a Yogi. And all of a sudden, something came over me. And I finished the book and immediately thought, well, this is what I have to do now. I have to, I have to see if meditation is, is real, if it brings you into higher states of consciousness. And, right. and so I gave my business away to a good friend of mine. I then um, went to the jungles of Kauai, the smallest island in the chain of Hawaiian islands. Mm-hmm. And um, I basically vowed to live the life of a, a homeless meditator in the woods. And my sister, yeah, kind of a radical decision, but I, I noticed yeah. when, when I do something, I'm kind of that all or nothing kind of guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm either going to go into something 100% or not do it at all. So I said, if I'm going to do this, you know, I'm going to do it um, 100%. And so my sister said she would help me um, survive in the wild for one month and teach me uh, because she had done the same thing before when mm. she was younger. So me and my sister went to the jungles of Kauai and we had our backpacks and that was it. I think I had 75 bucks to my name. And um, for one month, we meditated and chanted mantras and uh, walked the island um, and basically survived off coconuts and trail mix. And she kind of showed me where to go, where not to go, and um, how, to, how to get coconuts and where to get bananas and things like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so this monastery um, was in the back of my mind um, the whole time because a friend told me about it and he said if you're going to go to Kauai maybe you should check out this monastery <clears throat> so I thought <clears throat> well you know <clears throat> I'll, I'll see about that but I wasn't sure I really wanted to um, just get off the mainland yeah and dive into this new life um, of being a homeless meditator. And so the one month was up, and my sister said, well, I'm leaving. I'm going back to the mainland. Good luck. And I ended up um, accidentally near the monastery uh, with my sister. And so I went in for a tour, yeah, And I talked to one of the monks and asked about training. And he said, no, you know, go away. And I said, well, um, you know, why can't I train here? I, I'm just, you know, I need a teacher. 
um, I want to study Raja Yoga. And I'm just some 19-year-old kid. I look like uh, some homeless beggar, probably, to him. <laughs> and he said, well, it's not easy to get in here, and you need to fill out paperwork and everything and this and that. And he said, you really need to go home and uh, sort out your life. And I said, well, my home is in the woods, so it's either there or here. And he said, okay, well, good luck. And I went on my way, and I went back, and I said, well, I figured, you know, I didn't think they would accept me. So um, I actually made a call that night. I called my mom, like any 19-year-old uh, homeless <laughs> wanderer. <laughs> right. And I just thought... support. <laughs> And after it had been a month, so I, I figured I would give her an update. And I said, yeah, I'm not going to be in this monastery. I'm just going to be out here in the woods and everything. And so she said, go back. And they're just testing you. Mm. So I listened to her. I said, okay, I'll go back. And I, and I went back um, every day. So basically... They were open from nine to noon every day, mm-hmm. and I would walk up, and um, I would spend the entire morning there in the temple and everything, and meditate and read their books. And then I'd leave. And after a few days, um, one of the monks came up to me and said, um, "One of the one of the older monks would like to have tea with you." So I said, okay, great. So I thought this was my inn. And I went and sat down and um, was served tea. And this older monk um, said, you know, he had a long white beard. He said, what do you want? And I said, well, I want to study Raja Yoga here. I need a teacher. Um, I don't think I can do this on my own. And he said, okay, well, I want you to come back every day and have tea with me at the same exact time. And he said, write out as many questions as you can think of and bring your questions and we'll talk about meditation and what it means to be a monk. And so I started to go back every day and we had tea. And eventually I got the courage to ask, how can I stay longer? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, how can I stay in the monastery after we have tea for more throughout more of the day, basically? And he said, okay, you can go to the forest out behind the temple here and pick up sticks from one end and drop them off on the other end of the forest until we tell you to stop. And so I did. And every day after tea, for about a week, I would go and pick up sticks on one end of the forest, walk over to the other side, and drop the stick and repeat. And I did that for about an hour a day. And they would come out and say, okay, that's enough. Go away. And eventually, after the, the week of that, I was picking up my sticks and putting them on the other end. And a monk came up to me and took my photo and said, we're going to give your photo, uh, your picture to the guru. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, that's fine. And I came back the next day and I was picking up my sticks and putting them on the other side of the forest. And a monk came up to me and said, you've been accepted into the 
<laughs> into the monastery. So I stayed for the six-month um, basic training, and I succeeded, and I fit mm-hmm. in perfectly. And then I went back home and you know, had to make the decision that I was going to come back and take two-year vows. Um, and at that time, you know, eventually become a, a, a lifetime vowed monastic and stay for the rest of my life as a philosopher and um, theologian and teach and everything. And so after, That's a huge dedication, right? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and I was, I was, um, I had an inner calling to do that. And the meditation style is so profound that the monks taught me I, um, I had a, a lot of success right away, right away. And so it was the evidence. I mean, it was the proof that I needed to um, keep me going on this austere path. And, and the monastery yeah. was basically um, uh, organized around a militaristic regime. And so we had roll call at 5.30 every day. We worked all day. Um, physically trained and everything, and that's where I studied exercise science, and um, that's why I'm a personal trainer now uh, because that's um, one of my deep, deep um, passions is uh, uh, elite human performance. So, you know, thus began this 12-year journey um, of controlling my mind and controlling the body and my speech and understanding what ego was and how to transcend it. Yeah. And after the 12 year, um, that's the minimum period before you can take lifetime vows. Um, I was given the option to harmoniously leave or Mm -hmm. take those lifetime vows and grow a beard and become a part of the order. And I decided, uh, I had changed my mind. I had decided um, not to pursue lifetime vows and later change my mind. And so I left um, harmoniously uh, as a student, as a friend, and they, they said, good luck, remember your training, and we wish you the best. And so now I'm trying to teach as much as I can um, the basics, uh, the basic uh, concepts of the fact that we are not the body or mm-hmm. the mind, but we are um, a higher intelligence or soul that is controlling those tools. And we don't have to get stressed out. Um, we don't have to be frustrated or angry or sad and we can live this powerful, effective, dynamic existence. Um, and meditation is a, a wonderful tool that can help us uh, link back up with that, that real part of us inside. Right. And so it's a very inspiring story. I, I wonder, you, you say like, yeah, I stayed there for 12 years, but 12 years is such, for me, it's such a long time and I imagine there's so many periods and, and things you go through in, in learning about meditation, learning about yourself, learning about um, 
the way that they teach there. And was it like, how, how, did, how was that journey of 12, 12 years? Because in the end, you say you changed your mind or let's say you made the decision to leave the monastery. Was it because of something that happened throughout these 12 years or was there a certain purpose that you felt that made you leave? Well, I grew up, basically, I became a man inside of a monastery, right? I, as, right. as a yogi, um, I, that's how I grew up and matured. So it was a, an extremely profound experience and journey, and I'm forever grateful of, of having done that. It was basically a university for 12 years of going through this. Um, in the beginning, it was very painful, Uh, the first two to four years was all character adjustment, and I worked and learned how learned how to um, grow food and uh, farm land and cultivate soil and everything, and learned how to work with others. I was kind of a know-it-all jerk when I went in, and thought that I was, you know, this. Um, you know, profound yogi because I had come in from the, the woods. And yeah. over time, I was basically broken down um, and, and trained to become an extremely harmonious machine to do work, to uh, not feel the effects of rigorous training, uh, mental disciplines, fasting, um, sleep deprivation, no bed, you know, I slept on the floor for six months on a concrete floor. Um, and all these things helped shape me into an effective person, essentially, who yeah. can control the mind and not be um, controlled by ego. And so, yes, towards the end of the, the 10 years, my last two years were um, two of the most uh, intensive training years that I had to go through. Essentially, before you take lifetime vows, you have to go through what's called tapas. And that's basically uh, the Sanskrit word for an inner fire um, of purification. Um, right. Like a, an inner refinement through heat. And... Your guru literally works with you on the inside and brings these karmas up in your life that were never going to come up for many, many lifetimes. And throughout these two years, I went through um, what a shaman would call uh, the death of the ego. Um, basically, it's a type of psychosis and an insanity period where you lose yourself because once we lose the ego which is everything around us and 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 our character and our and our mood and and our attitude and our upbringing once we lose that we actually don't know who we are anymore and you look in the mirror and you think right i don't even understand who this person is that I, that's looking back at me 
And that's the whole point. That was the, that was the point of the process of why I was there. And, and to, you know, attempt to gain enlightenment. And when you have this kind of environment and, and this kind of process of, of change going on and this, this refinement going on throughout the years and control of mind and control of speech and never getting angry and, and understanding the inherent perfection of all things, your ego diminishes and you can actually transcend it. And so that happened to me and I went through this mental breakdown and then the ego rebuilt itself because that's the point of why we're here. You know, we're here to evolve through hardship and challenge and pain. And that is what makes us who we are. And, and that's why I was there. And so the ego only dies when our physical body dies. So you said that for two years you were going through this period of purification or like, sorry, psychosis almost, you, you described it as. Yes, and basically the ego has to rebuild itself because we're still in the physical body and, and, and we need the ego. The ego is, is, is a tool for us in life to be a person and with interests and meaning and purpose. And the key is to rebuild it in a way that it's refined and you understand that you can control it and then that you're not the slave. And so when mine rebuilt itself and I got a new identity, I realized I was growing out of the monastery lifestyle. And I was, mm. you know, I knew who I was at that moment and thought, okay, I, I'm ready to live out in the world now. I, I'm ready to um, meet people and help them and teach them about what I've gone through and what they can do to change their life and their perspective. And I could, um, I did that in the monastery. I mentored, uh, about 500 people, both online and in person throughout the years. And I helped a lot of young men online with meaning and purpose. And, um, I worked with families and everything. Um, but there was a calling to, you know, leave these walls that had trained me and um, travel, I guess, and kind of be a world yogi and not, not one inside of a monastery. Right. And so on this path that you walked inside this monastery, um, from what I know, like, for instance, from Buddhism, is that there's this idea of nirvana, of a place that you work towards, so to say, um, uh, that in the end you escape the cycle of samsara. And do you feel that in your time as in the monastery and also outside now of the monastery, you're still working towards something? Could you describe it like that? We would term it as moksha in, mm. in Hinduism. And that's basically... Um, very similar concepts of um, enlightenment and, and achieving um, 
this sort of evolution outside of reincarnating um, in a physical body again. So, uh, yeah, I believe that this evolution still goes on and, and I'm still um, learning. Um, I don't think we should stop learning and evolving and uh, moving forward. And I think that's kind of the only choice we have is to, to move forward. And <clears throat> I, I think I take the perspective that my guru has, which is, you know, if I attain something, if I've achieved a goal that I was seeking and, um, you know, then, then so be it. And if not, then so be it. And if I'm re if I'm reborn and, you know, going to have to go through the, the wheel of samsara again and do something else that desire is driving me to do, then, then it is what it is. And that's fine too, because either way, um, our perspective is that our evolution is not our choice. We are evolving no matter what, and we are mm -hmm. going towards divinity um, inside of ourselves um, no matter what. It's automatic. It's, it's part of the um, life cycle of a soul in our religion. Wow. That's incredibly comforting, that idea of um, this unfolding of, of your our evolution. I think that's very comforting. It, it, um, yeah, it sounds to me that you in that way also found peace with who you are and what you are doing in this life. Is that correct? Do you, yeah. could I say it? Hmm. Yes, absolutely. And most people live their life bound by the externalities of the mind and, and reality. And what they see is basically all they understand. And they don't turn inwards and self-reflect and go inside the mind and see what realities are in there and internalize their awareness. It's always just this outer lens, you know, relationships, mm -hmm. uh, jobs, money, um, clothing and uh, desire, right? That's driving us on and that's moving our life towards interests and meaning. And that's wonderful. That's perfect, really. And no, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's the way it, it is. Yeah. Um, but we can, we were born with an inherent divinity and perfection. And we have to get back to that eventually. And so this was, I guess, just my time to do that and take time out of my life, take a small chunk of this life and see if, you know, the sages are really experiencing these kind of things. And in, yeah. in fact, um, yes, that that's, it's absolutely true. That's incredible. And it seems that you've come from a place of, well, where you're the person who you were, you weren't able to live with, or you felt that 
it didn't work out for you and you redefine that person to the person you are now. Um, and I think that's incredible that you did that over that time. Yes, it's almost as if um, uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, a famous psychologist, would say, my soul was trying to break away from the tyranny of my ego. <clears throat> and it was saying, yes, all these things, you know, money and relationships, um, they're not the final end. They're, they're not going to bring ultimate contentment, no matter how much money you make. And no, no matter how good you are, in relationships and, and with people and and um, all the little things that you like to do to bring happiness eventually will and can you know bring sadness so right. that's the dual nature of life and and that's a beautiful thing really and that's there for our um, evolution but we can also no longer react and we can not be above everyone but but be beyond um the lower states of mind lower states of consciousness and we can fulfill and achieve a state of peace that we are designed already to attain and that's right. and that's ours when we're born it's our birthright Yes. And so that is, I imagine, very central to what you do now, which is training people, like being a, a personal trainer. And um, do you also do meditation with that? Or is it focused uh, purely on yoga or exercise? What What is um, your role now as a personal trainer into people's lives? Well, in the mornings, I focus 100% on meditation, right? So I teach meditation Monday through Friday. I teach uh, guided meditation so that the the meditators know exactly what to do, when to do it, and everyone's doing it um, together, essentially. And then when I go off into the uh, the world and, and teach uh, personal training, it's a blend of physical training for athletes, you know, um, boxers, weightlifters, uh, runners, climbers, skiers, etc. Um, but it's also, you know, it's also there's an incorporation of stress management, self-reflection, um, understanding how to break through limitations, and um, how to understand yourself more. Because really, becoming an athlete uh, requires you to understand yourself in the process and and you you will always be limited um in everything you do until you uh truly understand your capabilities which i believe are unlimited until it, it ends the physical body i mean and in my studies in the monastery with um you know, great leaders throughout history and people who have struggled, I mean, really struggled, um, prisoners of war and, and um, the, the things that soldiers have had to go through, um, you start to understand that our uh, capacity 
for stress and struggle, it, there's, no, there's no end to that capacity. So, yes, it's absolutely incorporated all of it into my whole day. Um, and then now we're also teaching uh, meditation um, every Sunday at, at the athletic club that I train at. So um, people start to realize that. And then as they're training, we um, start to talk about a lot of philosophical things, really. Yeah, I can imagine. Because as you said, the the discovery of yourself and and uh, essentially reality around you, to me personally, that has also helped me actually achieve more and be more um, productive and effective in what I do because I'm being more honest about what I can do and what I can't do. And that is so powerful once you realize that, that, um, you know, this, this path of self-discovery is just mega essential to basically do anything in life and be successful in it. It's just to understand your limits and as you said your no limits actually the limits that you make up in your own mind but aren't really there mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, yeah. yeah it's incredibly powerful absolutely and what's interesting about meditation specifically is that i'm i've begun to understand that just practicing meditation did not make me uh, who I am today and how I can meditate successfully. It's a lot of the outer stuff. It, it's a lot of the, the living correctly and, yeah. and uh, living with purpose and changing your character and your nature and being harmonious with other people and understanding that you should appreciate the differences. That has really helped my inner life and then my meditations as I matured as a person, became better. And um, for two years, you're not allowed to sit down with the rest of the monks in the monastery. You, you had to go through a two-year um, training period to not just learn the uh, language of meditation that we were taught in, but to take two years and sculpt yourself and... and and change and, and loosen or, or um, you know, uh, really polish like your outer, yeah. outer nature. Um, so you don't, you know, react emotionally to something um, that someone is, um, you know, doing to you or pushing one of your buttons. And, and really, essentially, it, it's not that other people need to, um, kind of treat you better, you need to actually get rid of those buttons. Yeah, right. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so uh, right now, when you practice meditation for yourself, is there a specific um, method that you use? Do you focus on the breath or do you have a mantra or how does that work for you? Right. In the monastery, we were taught the um, monk-made language um, of meditation called shum. And shum was designed in the 
early 70s in Switzerland by my guru's guru. Mm -hmm. And he basically was seeking a way to teach his monks without having to use a lot of words and without having to use English in general because a lot of the inner areas of the mind are so complex in order to guide people in meditation to one of those areas of the mind and beyond, you would have mm -hmm. to speak for a very long time and that would externalize you, right? Once you start using a language like English, um, you start developing concepts once you say a word or a phrase and that would draw you further away from your goal in meditation. So yeah. we um, use this language that um, my guru's guru basically found within himself in deep meditation. And he actually saw the images in his mind and he saw the letters and he had other monks um, write everything down that he was seeing in meditation and hearing. And out of it, out of those inner years um, of study in Switzerland, came this language of Shum. And that language uses uh, breathing techniques, three specifically, mm -hmm. visualization um, of color and um, of parts of the physical body, like the spine. And it eventually goes into um, its final goal, which is um, absolute pure focus and no thoughts whatsoever, no bodily awareness, and um, the eventual loss of awareness of space, so the room that you're in, um, mm -hmm. form itself and time. And that would be um, where you would actually touch into your um, highest uh, state of consciousness and which is no consciousness at all. Right. And so that is still the practice that you do up till this day. Yes. Is that I, correct? I, I, I am teaching that practice, um, but I use English. So I've, right. I only teach the language to those who um, ask for it. Um, I, I was starting to use the language for the general population of meditators and students, and um, I found out very quickly that that was much too complicated and overwhelming. A lot of people, when they want to meditate, all they want to do is what? They, they just want to clear their mind of thoughts. They just want to relax. And so yeah. <laughs> uh, while, while Shum does that, it's also meant for the the serious yogi, uh, someone who um, really wants to advance in meditation beyond, um, beyond most practices and um, dedicate, you know, a part of their day every day to meditation. Um, yeah. And more, you know, much longer than 10 or 20 minutes, but, you know, into about an hour. And so I, I have taught a few students so far successfully that language but what I do for the general population uh, is I break down 
the language into English, simplified mm-hmm. English, and then guide using using the English. And so while I'm teaching and using Shum in my guided meditation, um, you'd never know because uh, I, I rarely will use um, the language itself. Right. Okay, clear. So it's 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 a special kind of meditation, um, at least to me. I, I haven't heard of it before. It's very interesting. And as you said, there is a point of, so to say, no consciousness um, that you can reach through this uh, method. And is that the place where your um, ego, so to say, you're detached from the ego and you can start to reshape yourselves or are you able to reshape yourself without ever reaching that point? Yes, I would say it's both. Um, Mm. You cannot rely on deep meditation to reshape yourself um, while at the same time it is invariably going to change you as a person the deeper you go into meditation. Yeah, makes sense. And so there has been an incredible change in your life because of meditation. And I imagine that the people you teach, um, they also have uh, a big change in their lives because of the power of the mind, I suppose, that they discover through your teachings. Yes, it's fascinating. Um, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm used to teaching people in the monastery um, but I'm finding that with this method, um, people who have never been able to meditate before are having these profound experiences. Mm. And that's, that's just absolutely um, so fulfilling to me um, that, you know, this guided, these steps, that these logical steps into the mind and internalizing awareness methodically um, is, is so uh, is, is easy to catch on for a lot of people and then all of a sudden they're having these these um, really deep experiences and um, I just think that that's uh, absolutely wonderful uh, very excited yeah. to um, ex- explore this with more and more people uh, whoever you know, comes forward, I'm happy to um, show them these techniques that I was taught. Awesome. So um, for anyone listening right now to the podcast, um, from your experience in a monastery and your experience as a personal trader, what would you give as an advice to anyone listening? Maybe they just started on the path of meditation. Maybe they, they haven't gotten... Um, further than a, a week down the road, what would you advise? What was your big lesson or the big um, lessons you would like to give our listeners? Go slowly. Um, don't try for too much too soon. There's no rush. There can't be a rush. You can't force the process. So stop trying to sit for 30 minutes or an hour every day because eventually your mind is going to win it's going to it's going to flood uh, your brain with thoughts and you're going to get frustrated 
and then you stop meditating, right? Because it's too much, mm. and you, you didn't get that good at it. So you, you can't set too high of expectations, okay? So you just start with being able to sit down for five minutes and paying a, pay attention to your breathing, and that's perfect. And if you can do that, you know, for five minutes um, and take, take one day a week off, um, you know, if you can do that six days a week, five minutes, you, you can really get a long ways. I mean, that's really a profound practice. And a lot of people, um, they're, they're just not sure what to do at that point. And, and so they give it up. But the secret of meditation is that the simpler you get, the more profound things start to um, occur. So, right. so um, yeah, just start start slow and and don't get frustrated. Um, and there are ways with dealing with the mind. There are techniques to deal with the thoughts that come in, um, and. One of them is to uh, make a list, you know, have a piece of paper, have a pen. When you sit down to meditate for your five minutes as you're just starting out and something comes to your mind, write it down on the piece of paper and, yeah. and then go back to your breathing and just pay attention to your breathing. And, and, and breathing really is um, central, I think, probably to every um, meditation technique, right? Because uh, one of the only things in the in the in the present moment that's going on constantly, not in the past or in the future, but right now, is your breathing. Yeah, and your thoughts are going to bring you into the past or the future, and so you can't rely on on thinking about something. So. And you can't also just say, I'm not going to think about anything. I'm just going to, um, you know, just sit here and try to block everything out. And when you do that, you actually give more energy to those thoughts that you're trying to block yeah, out, right. right? Yeah. So that, that's one of the main problems um, that beginners go through is that they have a thought and then they attach or identify with it and they cling to it. And then they'll open up the thought. And they start to expand it. And, and they're now the character in a little movie. And they, they play out this little movie in their head for that one thought. And, then, mm -hmm. and they don't even realize that in the background, there's like 20 other thoughts going on at the same time. And what's going on is the mind is such a wonderful tool. It's a, da it's a database, essentially. So our conscious mind is picking up and perceiving reality, and it's collecting data and cataloging it into the subconscious mind, right? And you can, right. you can liken that to a bunch of uh, boxes in a basement, right? A bunch of stuff. And it's just, it's not really organized that well. And so when we start to meditate, for the first time in our lives, the mind is like, thank God, I can actually take these boxes, unpack <laughs> them, and start to bring them up to the first floor. And yeah. 
and unpack these uncatalogued, unresolved experiences. And so you start to sit down and you have these top level thoughts of what's going on that day. And then all of a sudden you can get past what's going on that day and you go into yesterday and you go into last week and you go into that conversation that you've never been able to get over that happened a year ago. And that, that's all in there. And it's basically yeah. like a phone that never had a, an app swiped close, right? We have this, this, this mind full of hundreds or thousands of apps, and we've never taken the time to close them. And so imagine a phone with a thousand apps open. It wouldn't be able to run properly. No. It, would be, it would be bogged down. It would be buffering everything, and nothing would work. And you wouldn't even know what was open, it, you know, deep down into those layers, right? So in our mind, we have all these layers of, of experiences open and unresolved. And so we sit down to meditate, and the mind is such a wonderful tool. It will actually, like boiling water, bring those things to the top surface and say, let's catalog, let's catalog this. Let's organize yeah. it and resolve it. And so we, we need to have meditations where we actually know that we're not going to be in a thoughtless state of mind, right? We need to actually say, okay, I'm going to sit down and resolve the thoughts in my mind. Mm. And I'm going to let them come up and I'm going to write them down and I'm going to get rid of the paper. So we bring what's in the mental out into the physical and then your brain is done. Your brain is like, yes, done. Check that off. We don't have to think about that anymore because his consciousness saw it and wrote it down. So we got that box unpacked, brought to the top and it's out. So that's one of the main uh, techniques I would give to a beginner. Um, be okay with the thoughts that come out, note them down, and and resolve something for once. Wow. All right. Well, thank you so much for that advice. I'm sure a lot of people can actually uh, apply that in their meditation and their approach. And thank you so much for joining me on this uh, episode of the podcast was a pleasure talking to you. I've learned a lot. <laughs> Thank you. It was, I love talking about this subject. And um, if anyone wants to email me and ask more questions, um, I think all my contact information is at uh, my uh, monkfitmeditation.com. Make sure to check out Rajan's website if you feel inspired by his story. The link will be in the description. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed this talk. And thank you for listening and have a great day.